I pray for your wisdom, your strength, your ability to flow freely, O oh Lord. So this book reading be a blessing to somebody, whatever it is heard, O oh Lord. Let it be a blessing, encouragement, inspiration. In the name of Jesus, amen. How the Lord gave me an education. I became conscious of my surroundings when my father was building a house, a very primitive building in the mining town of Palau, Mexico. Later on, I was aware of his brush with death while working down in the mines and was barely saved from dying from poisonous gas. Due to the incident, or to other reasons of which I do not know, I remember that one day we were packing and moving in a wagon pulled by mules to Zaragoza, approximately 60 miles from Palau, where we had lived. I remember that on the first or second night, we stopped in a lighted town, most likely electric lights, which I don't remember we had in our town. The town was Rosita or Muskis, where my father's brother Jesus lived. From there we continued traveling by day and stopped several nights to sleep in the semi-desert type of terrain of the region as we traveled. The, dis the destination my father had was 10 miles north, northwest of Zaragoza, where his cousin Isaias Torres owned a piece of land of about 30 or more acres of, of farmland. His cousin was well-to-do financially and was an attorney practicing law. The property was located by a creek in the middle of semi-desert area where the other creeks converged and at times it had running water. The name of the house or place was Los Ahorcados. A loose translation will be The Hang. It was named this way because apparently during the revolution 20 or more years ago, people of the opposite side of the struggle used the high pecan trees to hang those who had been sentenced to die. In this place, when I was four or five, I became aware of school. One day my brother Isaias was taken by horse to attend a school in a little village toward Zaragoza. This village was about three or four miles away from the house. I was taken for a ride mounted on my brother's Elias horse named El Empinado. That was the first time I remember knowing about school and that I could not go because I was too young. For some reason, maybe a year or two, most likely due to economics or to my father's health, my father moved us to Zaragoza. There in Zaragoza, I was told that my father was not well. I remember that at this time, I felt 
closest to my dad. It was at this time that my father taught me the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 that starts with, The Lord is my shepherd. I also remember my father walking and praying in the backyard of the house where we were living in Zaragoza. I remember that in Zaragoza, I started in one school that was located toward the west side of town. But then there was some turmoil in the family, verbal fights between my father and mother. One day, my father was discovered bleeding of self-inflicted wounds to his wrist and other parts of his body and unconscious. He was taken to the town medical facility and treated, and from there he was taken to the city jail. One day, I was taken by my mother to see my father at that place. I didn't know what they talked about, but that was the last time I saw my father until I saw him as an adult in early 1958. Since the last time I saw my father, I was taken to Texas, and I worked and traveled, got saved, and became a preacher, got married, became the pastor of the church in Brownsville, and there in Brownsville became an American citizen. From Brownsville, I went to see my father in Monterey, Mexico. He had difficulty identifying me and recognizing me. He was in a government type of medical facility from which my brother Josue and I removed him and placed him in the house of his brother Sostenes in Valle Hermoso, Tamaulipas, where I took the leadership to help him out. My mother prepared to leave for Texas and told me that I was, I will be staying <clears throat> with this family. The name of the man of the house was Manuel Flores, no relation to us. This family sent me to a downtown school every day. The school was about two or three blocks away. They fed me and took good care of me. They taught me to clean after myself, do work around the house, feeding the chickens and other domestic animals they had, and to study and do my assigned schoolwork. The Lord used these people to send me every day to school and get an education. I passed from grade one to grade two, but I don't think I finished grade two. When my mother and my sister, Sara, came back for me and my brother, Josue, it was a great day of celebration. I got to see my brother for the first time or second time since we were left behind. My mom and sister came prepared to take us with them. It was a joyful and excited time when I knew that we would be together again and go to a country where there was an abundance of food, nice cities, and good houses. I didn't know that life would be hard 
for me instead of easy. I did know that I had had my last real studies in a school as a child and that my childhood and schooling will never be normal again. My sister took me and registered me at Warden Elementary School, a school for the Mexicans. There was a teacher that my brother Josue still remembers, Mrs. Hopper. We thought that she was mean and very demanding and intolerant. She didn't speak Spanish and taught everything in English. Fortunately or unfortunately for me, my mother took me out of school after two or three weeks to go to work. I think the following year, I was registered one more time in a different place, but it was the same result. I was taken out after a short period to go to work in the fields. The school didn't help me. Instead, I think it confused me and I developed a dislike for English. That was my frame of mind, thinking that I will never read English. But everything changed the night the Lord saved me. He planted in my mind and in my spirit an insatiable thirst for knowledge and later for English. The Spanish Bible given to me when I got saved I read it every day and was amazed of what I was reading. When I left for Chicago with Evangelist Longino Moreno, I didn't know then, but now I realized that I was way ahead of many of the people my age in Bible knowledge and appeared to some people that I was well educated. When I started preaching and became a pastor, in May 1953, people received me and listened to my preaching. When I came to seminary in September 1954, people received me and invited me to preach. But all along, I had this feeling of inadequacy for my lack of not having a formal education and later on for not being able to read or speak English. When I came to California and started seminary, I became more aware of my deficiency of the English language and even of the Spanish formal schooling. In my second week when I found myself working close to Roosevelt High School, I took advantage of that and made the sacrifice to register for the evening school classes to learn English. It was very difficult for me because of my studies at seminary, my late hours on the job every night, and my lack of transportation. But I was determined to sacrifice my body and time of sleep to study. I studied at Roosevelt High School only for one year because the following two years, I worked full-time the swing shift from 3 to 12 midnight. By the time of the start of the second year of school, the Lord gave me a car 
at a modest price, and I was able to save time going to work, but I could not study English at night. This is what I did. I registered in a correspondence high school and studied at my own pace for the next two years. By this time, I was able to read and write a little more in English, but was not practicing my speech. I continued the test of my seminary years, studying until I got married in September 1957. After my marriage, I had more family obligations, the ministry demands, and probably the exhaustion of the three years of fast-paced life. I put down the books, and by October of that year, it was the end of my studies at Correspondence School. While I was in Texas from 1957 to 1961, life seemed to have become more complicated and demanding. So for over four years, my focus was not on education, but in surviving the ministry and attending to my family. For the first year after the Lord brought me to California the second time, I kept in the same way as in Texas as far as pursuing my education. Then in 1964, I began to have the thirst for knowledge, motivated probably more by keeping up with the people we had in church. I felt that I should do all I could to keep up with the young people. I didn't publicize this, but I started attending high school, and in 1966, I started attending Mount San Antonio College in Walnut. I studied one year straight, but it was very difficult to keep up. I dropped out of the second year, and later in 1969, I registered in La Puente Adult High School, part of the Hacienda La Puente Unified School District, where they had this innovative learning program where you could study at your own level, at your own pace, and at your own hours. It was very adequate for me, and in less than two years, in late 1971, I finished my studies. I was also determined that none of my children will get a high school diploma before I did, and I made it. I didn't go to the graduation to pick up my diploma, but after six months, they mailed it to me. I felt very good. One other thing that helped me in my education was the challenge presented to me and that I accepted when we moved to our new church in 1963. And the challenge was to express myself in the language of the youth we had, English. I observed that the education they received was all in English. They spoke every day in English. And when they came to church, we expected them to function all in Spanish. Most of the youth who spoke Spanish did it very badly. I concluded that if we followed 
in that direction, we will lose our children and youth. We will turn them to the world, or they will leave to the Anglo-American churches. They could not be productive members, neither of church nor of society. When I meditated on this, I heard the Lord telling me and leading me to decide what I was going to do about my own children and the children and youth of the church. I heard in my spirit the Lord clearly telling me, I didn't call you to preach in English or Spanish. I called you to preach the gospel and to be understood by your people in the language they understand and among which they live. From that day on, I determined to do several things to improve my communication skills, especially in English. I determined that I will no longer read anything the way of books or preparation material in Spanish, but will do it all in English. All books that I bought from that time on will be in English. I determined that I no longer will communicate with my wife and children in Spanish, but in English. I determined that I will no longer hear radio programs, Christian or non-Christian, in Spanish, but only in English. I will do the same for watching television that at the time was fast coming into the Christian homes. I also determined that from then on, I will only pray in English. That will serve me as my daily practice in English for an hour or more as I meditated. I knew that God will understand me in good Spanish or in bad English. God knew that I wanted to keep close to Him as I tried to learn to reach my children and the children of the youth and the youth of the church. And lastly, I determined that I will begin to preach my sermons with a few English words here and there in a way of practicing my public speaking with the new words that I needed to practice and become familiar with. As the days went by, I spoke more and more words, and as I did, the more the mistakes and mispronunciations in my speech. I was embarrassed, loved, criticized, and corrected many times, but I never gave up. In about four or five years, I was able to translate myself almost half the message as I was preaching it. By the mid-1970s, some ten years or more since I started speaking in English, in my sermons, I was preaching and translating most of the messages that I preached. By the early 1980s, I was leaning more to the English than to the Spanish, and by the middle of the 1980s, we had side-by-side -side translation that lasted about five years. After that, we agreed and declared two congregations in the church to be fully ministered to, one in Spanish 
and the other one in English. What I discovered as the Lord gave me the ability to communicate in English was that we never lost our youth to the world or to the Anglo-American churches. We were retaining our youth and our youth were becoming our leaders. In the early and mid-1970s, the financial pressures in supporting a growing family of six children, my wife and I, and the inability of the church to increase my salary caused me to make an added sacrifice, but not at the cost of the church. Church has always come first, and if needed be, I was ready to do any sacrifice to keep the church going. I felt that if I could do the work of ministry in the normal working hours, and if I could work outside during the evening in discharging my ministry obligation during the day and early evenings, I will be able to support my family in their growing demands of education. It was at this time during 1978 that an invitation arrived from Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, inviting me to go back to seminary to further my theological education. The invitation came with a scholarship of from 30 to 50 percent of the tuition. I went to investigate and I couldn't resist the challenge of attending one of the great seminaries in the nation. When they check on my education transcripts, I didn't have the credits or the good education background to be admitted. But because of my having been in the ministry this many years, about 25 years, they agreed to accept me on a trial basis. I needed to be able to demonstrate ability and efficiency in doing seminary-level study work for the first semester. If I pass the first semester test, they will take me as having been qualified. In the first test, test after I started studying, I realized how heavy and demanding these studies were. My academic English was very limited and I had purpose that I had to do most of my work in English. The Lord helped me to do the work, and my wife was so helpful in typing all my work. God gave me the strength and health to do all my activities, work four or more hours after midnight, attend seminary, and do the work of ministry. The studies took me five years in what could have been done in three or at the most four. But in May 1983, I received my Master of Theology degree. When I walked down the aisle of that venerable Pasadena City Auditorium, I was so proud of myself what, what, for what the Lord had given me. When I received my diploma and realized the value of the achievement, it became a liberating experience to me. 
I no longer was self-conscious of those who were college and university graduates that more and more were coming to church and sat in front of me, and I will have to preach to them. I felt free and liberated and good. It was in the summer of 1994 when I attended a ministerial seminar in the area of Hollywood sponsored by Azusa Pacific University, C.P. Haggard School of Theology. After the meeting, Dr. Jesse Miranda approached me to tell me that he had been commissioned to seek for a Hispanic pastor to offer him a full sabbatical scholarship to attend Harvard Divinity School at Harvard University. For the, for the moment, I thought of saying no, that I didn't think I was qualified for that. But then Dr. Miranda said, you have been in that church for over 25 years. You are loved, successful, hardworking, and you need to take time out to reflect, relax, and learn new things and see new sights. I said, okay, give me more information. He, will, he told me that he will be sending me information through the mail, and he did. I left the meeting so excited, scared, and unworthy of such an honor, and hurried back home. I knew what Harvard meant, but I truly didn't know where Harvard was located. I didn't know the great history and tradition of that first university in the United States. I rushed home straight to my Encyclopedia Britannica, trying to find out where in the east of the United States Harvard was and really what a sabbatical and Harvard was all about. I shared the news with my wife, then with my son Paul, my associate pastor, and they all agreed to support me. We shared this with the church board and pastoral staff, and they all backed me up. Paul took the leadership to help me organize and prepare the church for my time out from September to January. I was to leave by August 11 to start in September, but something unexpected happened. In late April and early May, I started to feel a particular pain in my chest that will appear when I was doing my strenuous walks in the morning but disappear within five or ten minutes after I stopped. I told my wife, and she responded, go see the doctor. I didn't go to see the doctor. I just stopped fast walking, and the pain never showed up again. On June 1st, 1995, I went to an appointment with my dentist, but when I checked, in 
They told me that the appointment was for the next day. Since I had told the church clerk that I was going to the dentist and that I wouldn't come back until after lunch, I told myself, well, maybe I can go to Kaiser Clinic and see the doctor about the chest pain. I realized that I had not had any chest pain for weeks because I had not been walking strenuously. So as I walked to the car, I told myself I was going for a 15-minute fast walk and prove that I was okay. If not, if the chest pain comes, I will go and see the doctor right away, even though I had no appointment. When I told the receptionist at Kaiser Clinic in West Covina, my symptoms, they immediately took me in, and in less than 45 minutes, I was in an ambulance being transported to Hollywood Kaiser Hospital. They kept me under observation for four days, and then they allowed me to go home with orders not to do anything. From that moment on, a battery of tests started that culminated in an open heart surgery on the very day I had planned to leave for Harvard, August 11, 1995. I came out well, but needed a long recuperation period. I called or had someone to call Harvard for me to let them know of what had happened, and they sent me a letter that they would wait and that I could come in January. I chose the following year, and they said that it will be all right. When the time came the following August, I had lost my Spanish assistant pastor and some problems were created, and I didn't want to leave the church under those circumstances. Harvard was very accommodating and suggested me to come in January for the spring semester and to notify them by the last week of November. The time arrived very quickly, and I told my wife that I will not be going my wife wanted me to go. I wanted to go, but I had started to doubt whether it was the will of God for me to go. The heart surgery, the turmoil in one segment of the church, and now no reliable assistant left me with no choice. It was on the last Sunday of November that a pastor friend who many years ago had married one of the young ladies of the church and who was never had come to visit on a Sunday morning, came out of nowhere into the church service and sat near the rear. The service ended, and I invited him and his wife to stay for lunch. They did. During lunch, I asked him, what had brought him to church. And he said he wanted to start coming and be a member of the church. 
I thought it was a joke. My wife told me in a loud voice, saying, Honey, here is your answer. Pastor Joe Flores and Lucy had been pastors for many years and recently had stepped down from the church in Azusa. He said he wanted to talk with me, and I said to him to come the next day. When they came to my office, they told me the reason they had left the church and that they wanted to start coming to the Redeemer. Then he asked me, What did your wife meant yesterday by saying that I was the answer to your prayers? I told him I was canceling my sabbatical scholarship to Harvard because I didn't have an assistant. I could trust to live with the responsibility of the Spanish congregation. He replied that he was willing and eager to help so that I didn't miss that great opportunity. I trusted Joe Flores and his wife, and it was a matter now of properly notifying the church and sending word and information required to Harvard on the first week of December. I flew to New Jersey, where my son Ernie and his wife were the pastors. I arrived at Cambridge from New York and the last Monday, on the last Monday of January 1997. The taxi man who drove me from the train station to Divinity Hall just left me there. It took me a while to absorb and integrate the magnitude, the magnitude of my surroundings. Quickly, I was introduced to my private room in the historical Divinity Hall, shown the historical Divinity Chapel, and walked through the magnificent Harvard campus. Next day, and the rest of the fellows were introduced to each other and to some of the professors and were given the scheduling program to follow during the stay. The four distinguished fellows were the leader of the Church of Christ scientists from Minnesota, the president of the World Council of Churches, the Catholic Bishop of Ireland, and the senior pastor of Church of the Redeemer in California. I started to buy recommended books and gave myself to reading, walking, praying. Renowned professors and theologians from around the world were our guests, teachers, every week. Every fellow made a presentation during the semester. My presentation was the amazing story of a boy from a broken home in a strange land that found his way to God in a very humble Mexican church and started with no, not much education, made it to be successful in preaching the gospel of Christ and made it to be the senior pastor of Church of the Redeemer. Then he was invited to, to an honor 
at the oldest and most prestigious university in the country and the world. That the fifth and youngest son of Sebastián Flores had arrived and was studying at Harvard University was way beyond the wildest dream of his dad. I marvel at how the Lord did it for me and how he gave me an education. An education you can't buy and neither can you learn in the best classroom. I thank God for Manuel Flores, who sent me to school in Zaragoza when my mother left me in Mexico. I thank Dr. Man Miguel Guillén for giving me the chance to preach and to study for three years at Claddick Seminary free of charge. I even thank him for disowning me as a minister and liberating me to fully follow the Lord. I thank God for all the seminars I have attended free and with charge. I am grateful for the professors at Fuller Seminary who gave me a chance and helped me graduate and to Dr. Jesse Miranda for setting his eyes on me and recommending me to Harvard. The renewal of my experience with God and studies come fresh to me every day as I walk and pray and continue to have a hunger for God and His Word.